You're listening to CounterTalks, Canada's podcast for the equipment and event rental industry. CounterTalks is a presentation of Canadian Rental Service Magazine. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi, everyone. Glad to have you back with me. Today, we spoke with Jim Mandeville from First On Site. First On Site is a uh, disaster restoration and remediation uh, company. They coordinate efforts to uh, uh, clean up after disasters such as floods and fires and uh, uh, I suppose earthquakes. Uh, Jim has done some of that in the past. Um, Jim and I had a, a very interesting conversation about the special challenges for contractors in, uh, in coming in to help with that sort of work, uh, to rebuild and, uh, and to get involved with that. First on site is involved with coordinating all those efforts. So Jim knows a lot about the, the various regulations and the different hazards and things to be aware of when you're doing this sort of work. Uh, he has some interesting stories about his experiences in the Fort McMurray fires, um, talking a bit about uh, some things you might not expect that are, that are dangerous uh, in flooding situations. Uh, he talks a bit about, uh, about what kind of equipment is needed, uh, what contractors need to be uh, aware of when they're going into houses and areas that may have been damaged. Uh, really a, an interesting conversation about some things maybe we don't always think about but might need to if we, uh, if we get uh, involved in this sort of work uh, in the future. So I uh, hope you enjoy my conversation with Jim Mandeville from First On Site. All right, everybody. I'm here with Jim Mandeville from First On Site. Jim, how you doing? Great, thanks, Patrick. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really neat to have you uh, uh, with us. Um, we're going to talk a bit about uh, disasters and disaster remediation today, and uh, and I I I know that's a it's a it's a big topic in uh, in our industries. Uh, uh, everybody really um, um, gets. Uh, gets sort of it's terrible to say but they get opportunities <laughs> when these things happen um and uh and and but they're also very concerned to help out and, and and do whatever they can so jim why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're doing for first on site certainly so i've uh, been in the restoration business for about 17 years um looking after disaster cleanup from the very small scale and residential homes up through very large uh, industrial, uh, commercial, hospitality, and healthcare environments uh, all across North America. So, um, been in a wide variety of, of uh, area-wide catastrophes, everything from hurricanes to wildfires and uh, floods, tornadoes, you name it. Um, certainly been there and, and seen a few of them uh, in different parts of the continent. And tell me a bit about First Onsite. What, 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 what do you guys do? What's your involvement in these... Uh disasters? So First On Site is Canada's largest uh, restoration contractor, uh, together with our uh, operations in the United States and beyond. Uh, we look after the restoration of homes and businesses, uh, and again, institutions, etc., after they've had things like fires or floods or uh, any sort of uh, unfortunate incident like that, um, from coast to coast to coast, all the way across. Okay, so when, when, when a disaster happens, um, it, the insurance companies are calling you in, the private owners are calling you in, the governments are calling you in. How does this usually work? Well, definitely all of the above. I mean, um, a very large portion of our business is uh, from large businesses themselves. Um, we have pre-existing relationships with a lot of uh, large companies who count on us to be a part of their emergency response plan. 
So they've done the thinking ahead and they know that, hey, these bad things happen, especially these days. We're going to have a bit of a plan for, you know, if there's a flood in this town or a wildfire in that town, and we'll help participate in that planning and, and we'll do a lot of work directly for them. Uh, then we also, of course, do a lot of work for um, a wide variety of, of insurance carriers across Canada and the United States, um, and as well directly for homeowners and, uh, you know, just people needing help. Wow, you must have seen a lot of wild stuff, and we're going to get into some of that. Um, the um, um, let's let's start big picture first. We 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 hear that um, you know uh, climate change is causing uh, uh, worse disasters, more disasters, uh, uh, more intensity. Uh, I guess more frequent um, uh, wildfires and flooding. I think are are, are sort of the big ones uh, that we or in very, very intense storms. I guess uh, as well. Um, uh, tell me what what. What what are you seeing? Do you do you, do you is there is there more happening than than there used to be? Well, I can tell you that every year I'm busier, um, and that's uh, you know not to toot our own horn. We're doing what we can, but a lot of that's got to do with the climate. So certainly, we're seeing far more uh, regular and intense regional events. So in the past, we might have you know one flood somewhere in eastern Canada in the spring and maybe one small sort of wildfire event or wind event in Western Canada. And now sometimes we're seeing, you know, four or five, six major events in a year, sometimes concurrently where we could have a large flooding event in Eastern Canada, uh, while at the same time having, you know, widespread wildfire damage in British Columbia, like we did in, uh, in 2017. So uh, it's, you know, to the lay person, I'm not, I'm not a climatologist, obviously, but it certainly seems to be increasing, uh, you know, at a, at a drastic rate. Yeah, that's been my sense too. I, I was working on the um, uh, Wings magazine for a little bit a couple of years ago, uh, and one of their uh, groups of readers are the, uh, you know, the firefighters in BC uh, with the water bombers and stuff like that for the forest fires. And uh, and boy, those guys were worked off their tails. They they, they seem to have more going on uh, every year. They, they were wondering how they were going to, how they were going to keep up with it all. So yeah, it, it seems to be a uh, well, a growing business to not put that kind of a spin on it, but <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely a, it's definitely something that uh, that everybody's going to be uh, going to be heavily involved with. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds when we talk about disasters and things, I guess the most recent really high profile thing was Fort Mac. I mean, you know, you basically had a, a, a whole town burning down, or at least part of it. Um, give me, give me your war story. I, I, I know you were involved. Give me your war story from Fort McMurray and what you saw up there. Certainly. So I was, uh, personally in Fort McMurray about three days after most of the residents evacuated along with a uh, small team of ours, uh, to assist with, uh, some infrastructure issues and, and sort of maintenance of the areas where the firefighters and other first responders were sleeping. So we we're taking care of some air quality stuff and, uh, and, and just sort of providing that extra layer of comfort and security to those guys while they're trying to do their job. Um, I, I've never quite seen anything like it uh, as in this country anyways, as far as a widespread evacuation. It's a pretty eerie feeling to drive through a town of, at the time, 90,000 people and not see another vehicle or another person or even a dog or nothing, just empty. Um, you know, and it was a long time. We were there through the evacuation uh, weeks, um, you know, where we were doing our work and doing what we could to help out. And and then you'd step outside and go back to the RVs we were staying in and it might be raining, burning pine needles that day. So 
Wow. A, uh, yeah, it's a pretty intense thing when you're that close to a big fire. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's not for everybody. Yeah, and and I, I guess the the smoke must be hard to deal with, right? That seems to me to be the big problem. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's definitely a learning curve, and maybe it helps for our current situation here. But we were needing to you know wear respirators to walk to the restroom, and we're needing to wear respirators you know in the truck if we're going for you know from one end of town to the other. So we spent a lot of time in our respirators, uh, which. You know, now we're all spending a lot of time in masks. So I guess everybody starts to get the feeling now. But at the time, it was a pretty foreign idea that I was going to put my respirator on to get in the truck. So I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. And so, sorry, what, what were you what were you mostly involved with doing there? Like, like, obviously, so there's I'm picturing like there's houses burning or I guess they've been mostly put out, you know, by this time. Um, so so and then the people have evacuated. So now what is first on site coming on and, and, and doing at this point? So in the initial phases, uh, we were providing uh, air quality management, uh, you know, through some installation and monitoring of equipment, uh, as well as some temporary power stuff in, in conjunction with some of our partners. And then as we move towards uh, reoccupation of the town, we started with the critical businesses. So we have a lot of existing customers who uh, provide critical functions to the community, banks, grocers, uh, fuel stations, et cetera. So those became the priority in getting those clean. Uh, and getting them back to a point where they could operate, whether that meant they needed temporary power or permanent power reconnection, heavy cleaning and, and you know, some disinfection, because, of course, we had some food that sat there for a month. Um, so we we worked through all those, getting those back up and running so that, you know, there would be facilities available for the townspeople to use once the evacuation order was lifted. Hmm. So you gave me the perfect segue by mentioning partners. Uh, uh, the partners uh, I'm particularly concerned with uh, here are, uh, are the equipment rental stores um, that I know uh, work very hard uh, to, uh, to provide equipment in a lot of these situations and, you know, not just Fort McMurray, but, but floods and, and, and basically everywhere. Um, what, what, what was their involvement in, in this effort from your perspective? Well, we, we rely heavily on uh, on a number of uh, equipment partners, and that varies, of course, regionally speaking. We do deal with a lot of multinationals as well, uh, but they're a critical part in any any restoration effort after a you know major catastrophe like this. Always, uh, you know, we're in need of uh, temporary power, so you know, large portable generators uh, and electrical distribution equipment. Um, potentially in flood scenarios, we're you know in need of uh, large pumps and small pumps and pumps of every variety. Um, as well into some specialty items of some potentially air purification equipment or air management equipment, uh, temporary air conditioning, temporary heating, uh, really the full gamut of the specialty rental sector. Hmm. That, that, that's interesting. So, so it's not just one kind of pump you, you, you're, you're looking for here, right? You, you, you have a, you have sort of a, like, like you're going to have to sometimes have a really big sucker to, you know, say clear out a whole basement or something like that. And then other times it'll be something smaller. It certainly, I mean, um, during one regional flood, I had a number of 13 inch pumps running to clear out the basement of the stadium. Yeah. Uh, but if you're trying to get four inches of water out of a basement, you can't use a great big pump. So you need something that uh, will be able to draw down to a very low depth to a point where then we could then manage it with things like shop vacs or portable extraction units. So we'll use everything right from a 110 volt Rupert's pump all the way up to a, you know, a 12 inch thrash pump that's, you know, potentially running off a 500 kW generator. So yeah. 
um, it really, you need the right pump for the right blood. Hmm. So that's, that's a, that's a good tip for everybody. Have a, have a variety of, uh, have a variety of pumps in your fleet that, uh, that are, that are available for that kind of thing. Um, portability, I'm thinking of bringing in the big generators. Um, uh, obviously you'd need, uh, you'd need stuff trailered, uh, most of the time. Um, is, uh, is it sometimes difficult getting the, getting those into, and, and I'm thinking also of the heat, um, the, the big heaters, uh, it, do you, do you need uh, a different solution sometimes to get those into places that are hard to get to? Uh, always. Uh, I mean, fortunately we have a very strong logistics department that helps me, uh, you know, get everything done that I need to get done as far as trucking is concerned. So we use a lot of, um, uh, drop decks and tilt deck, uh, floats. Uh, from different logistics providers. And then once we get the equipment, you know, to the site, oftentimes, especially like you mentioned with heat and generators, we need them potentially in a portion of the building that's not designed to have something that big beside it. So oftentimes we'll be looking for local uh, crane providers, um, you know, what, whatever we need to do. I've, I've certainly had to crane six inch diesel pumps over top of buildings to get them in the backyard before, um, crane very large generators onto roofs of buildings to get them to where we need to get them if they're you know if it's engineered properly so the sky's really the limit and and definitely uh, quality logistics providers crane providers um you know and and rental companies that have boom trucks and crane trucks already are uh, definitely helpful but let's go disaster type by disaster type and and say what the what maybe the top one or two items are that you're going to need from a rental store uh wildfires what 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 are the big items uh, definitely temporary power equipment and uh and air filtration equipment so there's uh you know quite a business these days and in, in HEPA rated air filtration equipment that stuff can be very useful uh during wildfires and and a real key thing that everybody forgets about that are that's really hard to get in a wildfire is activated charcoal filters so that's filters for that equipment and then filters for the permanent HVAC system on those buildings. They become extremely scarce and, and very hard, you know, very hard to locate during uh, widespread wildfire events. So great tip, great tip. Uh, floods, obviously pumps. Uh, anything else people might not think of for flooding? Yeah, I mean, definitely pumps uh, are always helpful uh, in flood scenarios as well. You know, temporary power is, you can never have enough of it in these scenarios. Right. Um, also, you know, in floods, there's always going to be a need for smaller uh, excavation equipment. So things like skid steers and uh, mini excavators, um, both in the residential side and on the commercial side. Oftentimes, you know, we'll be trying to clean up a large commercial building like a grocery store, perhaps, and there'll be three inches of silt in the parking lot. Wow. Um, you can't just pressure wash three inches of silt down the storm sewer, right? So um definitely those are things we need and and also vac trucks if anybody's in the vac truck business those are also uh worth their weight in gold uh during a flood so yeah i've i've talked about vac trucks a bit in the uh, in the magazine and uh and uh, i think they're they're a great item for people to have but they're the price tag's a little the price tag's a little heavy but uh they are expensive yeah <laughs> but if you if you know if you've got one there's definitely uh, that that's one more application for it for sure that's right what about um, storms, tornadoes? Um, what are you What are you typically looking for there? Uh, any sort of tornado or straight line wind event, like a derecho, um, we're always. It's not quite equipment, but we're always looking for more tarps and more lumber. Um, and in conjunction with that, we're also looking for scaffolding, access equipment, 
Um, so uh, straight stick boom lifts, uh, scissor lifts, any sort of you know mobile aerial platform uh, is always going to come in handy. And then anything to do with tarps and and you know two by fours, two by twos, things things we can use to uh, temporarily enclose buildings to keep the water out are always in high demand after events like that. Great information. Yeah, that's 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 good to know. Because I mean that that would be a difference, right? Like a store down here in southern Ontario, uh, you know, not thinking so much about the wildfires, obviously, not even thinking so much about the flooding always. I mean, it's you know, it's we have a lot of flood control on all the rivers down here. Um, but uh yeah, tornadoes for sure. That's uh that's something that uh, that we run into. So that's wow, that's 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 great uh great stuff for sure. Um let's get down to um how often how often do you deal with ice storms or winter sort of related events like that? Um, I mean, obviously there was the big one, but that was like a freak event, you know, in eastern Ontario years ago there. Um, do, you, do you see much of that going on across the country? Uh, I think like everything else, it's probably fair to say that it's probably happening more often than it did. It, as you mentioned, I mean, it used to be a generational thing, right? But we did just have a bit of an ice storm. I want to say three years ago, we fired out of Eastern Toronto. And uh, certainly what we get into with that is we get into a lot of tree damage. So we get into tree limbs on buildings, trees themselves on buildings. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of temporary power and temporary heat situations. So definitely temporary heating equipment, temporary power equipment. And also when the power goes out for that long, we get into a lot of basement flooding issues, both commercially and residentially, because there's no power to the sump pumps. So we also get into your same old flood problems where, you know, mid-rise apartment building perhaps has got no power for four or five days. And now there's four feet of water in the parkade uh, because there's no power to the pumps. So, right. um it can be a lot more complex than just some ice on some branches, right? It can really uh, start to lead to, you know, really multifaceted issue. Yeah, I think that's what they saw in the in the in the Quebec ice storm was was these problems seemed to snowball into a lot of unexpected areas. Uh, you know, and obviously the power lines were all coming down and the trees and and then the flooding would start and then no one had power and then, like you said, their their food is going rotten. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was uh, <laughs> one thing after another. Yeah, it's it's incredible how one seemingly small thing can really snowball and affect our modern life. Like our buildings and our lifestyles without a simple thing like power, you know, inside 24 hours, things can go really bad. Um, it can really take a long time to recover from. So, yeah, yeah, it's for sure. For sure. Um, the rental store that's interested in being of service in a disaster relief scenario, um, who do they need to have contact with as a customer? Obviously, guys like you uh, would be would would be one. Um, is it is is most of the procurement of the rental equipment happening through contractors like yourselves, uh, or is there is there also direct uh, direct from municipalities or I don't know who insurance? Uh, I would say the vast majority of the procurement is definitely happening through restoration contractors and large general contractors. Um, I would also extend that to roofing contractors, depending on the type of event. Uh, however, municipalities are always going to be looking for more temporary power and back trucks and things like that. Uh, and then depending on the type of event and where it is, you're going to have a lot of direct homeowner business as well. Um, unfortunately, not everyone has the right insurance or, or the funds available to just hire someone to clean up their house. So there's always going to be people out there looking to do part of it themselves or having to do part of it themselves. So there's always going to be that walk-in traffic of people needing, you know, small pumps and disposal bins and 
you know, small excavation equipment, what have you. So, um, that's, yeah, it, it can be split quite a bit that way. Yeah. Yeah. I would think, um, once the disaster is sort of over and we're now into rebuilding, right. I imagine there's a, a very different sort of effort that, that happens when you're trying to, you're trying to restore the area. I mean, it's, you know, there's remediation and then restoration. Um, what, um, how's the, how's the rental stores job change there? Uh, well, really, what you see is an evolution into the biggest construction boom that a small town's ever seen. Um, so, it, you know, it goes from this mass panic of let's get it cleaned up and let's get the mud out of here or let's get the soot out of here to all of a sudden, wow, I've never seen this constru- this much construction in this town in 50 years all at once. Yeah. So things that normally sit on the shelf forever, like normally you've got enough scaffolding that you never rent out of it, all of a sudden that stuff's booked for four months. Right. So there's always a surge like that for, say, you know, the first sort of three to nine months of the reconstruction effort. Um, so whatever you can do to help bolster your stock for those sort of three to nine months is, is definitely going to be a revenue opportunity. Um, if you wait too long, you're going to miss it. So uh, it's, <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's just like every other construction boom. Right. Yeah. So when the disaster hits, get on the phone and start buying. Well, definitely, definitely start buying or or uh, sourcing to surge. However, you source to surge, right? If there's stuff you can re-rent from out of area, maybe you only need it for a few months. It makes more sense, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, make hay while the sun shines, as they say. Fantastic, Jim. Great discussion. Uh, really, thank you very much. Uh, you, you've got such a wealth of knowledge in this area. Um, um, where can people uh, Where can people find out more about uh, First On Site if they're if they're interested? Certainly. So our uh, website is www.firstonsite.ca or just Google us at first on site, the words, and uh, you'll find us everywhere. We have branches right across Canada and the United States. So uh, chances are we have a location near you and and can get somebody with my skill set and my background out to have a conversation with you if you've got a problem. So fantastic. Fantastic. Listen, Jim Mandeville, thank you very much for joining me today. Great. Thanks, Patrick. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for Counter Talks. You can find Counter Talks episodes online at CanadianRentalService.com or on the major podcasting services. Counter Talks is a presentation of Canadian Rental Service Magazine.